Welcome back to the Starting Point Podcast, where we delve into the fascinating world of science and faith. I'm your host, Jay Siegert, and I am thrilled you're taking the time to join us. Let's dive right into today's episode. Thanks for joining us on today's broadcast. This is just our third episode, so we're just getting started. If you missed episode one and two, I highly, highly recommend taking the time to listen because the first one really sets the stage for everything that we're going to be covering on these podcasts. And the second one gives more context to today's episode, which is The Origin of the Universe, Part 2. What can you expect today? Well, I will do a quick mini review of episode two, the previous one, to give you better context, but don't use that as an excuse to not go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. But the main focus will be on discussing the origin of the universe, specifically the Big Bang. We'll talk about the Big Bang, what it really represents, probably surprise you. We'll talk about the evidence that is cited in its favor. We'll talk about scientific challenges to the Big Bang, and then we'll talk a little bit, if we have time, about whether or not this concept of the Big Bang fits in with the Genesis creation account or religion and faith and all that. We'll see how far we get. But a mini-review from Episode 2, The Origin of the Universe, Part 1. I'm going to give you just a nutshell of my background. I won't always repeat my background in each episode, but since we're early on, I'll do that briefly. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, believed the Bible cover to cover, went to public schools, then I went to a, a Christian university, John Brown University in Arkansas, got a degree in engineering, then I transferred to a state university, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, to get a degree in physics, and that's where all my professors were telling me I was wrong about everything that I believed, and I realized I do know what I believe, but I don't know why. And that made me very uncomfortable, obviously, not to be able to defend my beliefs. So I started researching, and I have been researching and lecturing now for 38 years on many topics related to Christianity and science and faith, which that's what these podcasts are all about. The main thing we focused on in the last episode was the origin of the universe, where did everything come from, and I mentioned that there were three options only three options, logically speaking. We're not talking about faith or religion or God or anything at this point. We're just talking about logic. There logically are only three options. Number one, it was created by nothing. Number two, it was created by something. And number three, it was not created at all. It's just always existed. So a brief recap of that. The idea that the universe was created by nothing we quickly kind of skipped over that because that doesn't make any sense. How could nothing do anything? Nothing is nothing but nothing. So we should be able to rule that out right away. And then he made the comment, we'll be back. And I will be back to that very briefly, too, with this podcast. Second option, the universe was created by something. Okay, that's pretty vague. What was that something? Well, logically, there are only two options. That something was either the universe itself, meaning the natural world, or it was something outside of itself, outside of the natural world. Well, the universe could not have created itself. It's a logical contradiction. Something cannot create itself. It would have to exist first to do anything, and if it already exists, it's not creating itself. So that one just doesn't make any sense. 
The second option is that it was created by something outside of itself, outside of the natural world. Well, that would be the supernatural world, and that's where the alarms go off. People say, you can't go there. Separation of church and state, that's not allowed. So that one gets ruled out not because of any scientific reasons. It's because that one's not welcome here. <laughs> People just don't want that one. We have to stick to natural causes. We're not talking about the supernatural. That was a philosophical decision to rule that one out. So that left him with the third option. The universe was not created at all. It has always existed. If it has always existed, it didn't have a beginning. If it didn't have a beginning, you don't need a beginner. If you don't have a beginner, you don't need a god. Uh, so that one was convenient for a number of years to a lot of scientists. They didn't have to worry about the problem of figuring out where everything came from. They just assumed it had always existed. Well, as science advanced, they realized that doesn't cut it. There are many reasons why the universe cannot be infinitely old. It hasn't always been around, so they could rule that one out. Well, they just ruled all three out. But they got to pick something because there are only three options. So... In last episode, I mentioned what they did is they went back to number one. The universe was created by nothing. In that episode, I explain a lot more details behind that. It's fascinating. There was one quote I didn't have time for. Very fascinating, and I will read it, and I will also share something humorous to begin with. I'm going to try my best when I give quotes to always say, quote, unquote, and the reason is, I have been so frustrated myself listening to a lecture through audio, and the speaker says, you got you to hear this quote, it's just fantastic. And then he starts speaking, and you assume that this is the beginning of the quote, and it usually is, but then you don't really know when it ends. And he might say something like, and that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. And you might be thinking, wow, I can't believe that scientist said that, that that's the craziest thing you ever heard. Well, maybe he didn't say that. That was the host adding their commentary, but you don't know where the quote actually stops. So I'm going to try to remember to always say quote unquote so you know when it begins and you know when it ends. So here's this quote from an English astronomer, David Darling, writing in New Scientist magazine, talking about, you know, how you get something out of nothing. He says, quote, what is a big deal? The biggest deal of all is how you get something out of nothing. Don't let the cosmologists try to kid you on this one. They have not got a clue either. In the beginning, they will say, there was nothing. No time, space, matter, or energy. Then there was a quantum fluctuation from which... Whoa, stop right there. You see what I mean? First there is nothing, and then there is something. And the cosmologists try to bridge the two with a quantum flutter, a tremor of uncertainty that sparks it all off. Then they are away, and before you know it, they have pulled a hundred billion galaxies out of their quantum hats. You cannot fudge this by appealing to quantum mechanics. Either there is nothing to begin with, in which case there is no quantum vacuum, no pre-geometric dust, no time in which anything can happen, no physical laws that can affect a change from nothingness into somethingness, or there is something, in which case that needs explaining, unquote. <laughs> Uh, pretty fascinating. What he said is either there really was absolutely nothing to begin with, in which case nothing is going to happen, or there was actually something to begin with, in which case that needs explaining. What was that something? Where did it come from? How did it get here? How did it form an entire universe? And they don't have scientific answers for that. One other quote I didn't share last time, 
This is from Professor of Philosophy at New York, a law of New York University, Thomas Nagel. He said, quote, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that, unquote. I appreciate his transparency. It's not just that he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want God to exist. He doesn't want to have to deal with that. He wants to be able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, without anyone telling him that there's something that's right and wrong. So pretty telling, and people who come from that position are forced to believe that everything came from nothing. You can't have something then. It has to come from nothing, which, again, doesn't really make any sense. Last episode, I expound on that a little bit more. I also talked about presuppositions last time. I don't want to spend too much time with that this time. But before we even have an opinion about the origin of the universe, there are things that we believe to begin with, and we use those things to then come to a conclusion about everything else. There are things that we just assume to be true. We can't prove them, but you got to start somewhere. And those things are necessary. They're called presuppositions. It's your worldview. You use those to come to conclusions about everything else. Very important. That was part of last episode. So getting to something new, we're going to talk about the Big Bang itself. And a slightly humorous note, Sir Frederick Hoyle, he was one of the world's leading astronomers and mathematicians. He was actually an atheist for most of his life. When he first heard of this new idea about the origin of the universe, this pseudo-explosion, he said, what, like a Big Bang? He was being sarcastic, and then that name stuck. So today we call this idea the Big Bang. Now, we're talking today about the Big Bang and the origin of the universe, but I'm going to share something that will probably come as a surprise or even a shock, but it's pretty significant, and here it is. There's one very interesting thing about the Big Bang, and that is it doesn't explain the origin of the universe. Now, you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Let me explain by way of parallelism. When you think about Darwinian evolution, you envision like fish evolving into amphibians, uh, then they evolve into reptiles and so on. You've got an ape-like creature evolving into chimps and gorillas and hominoids and modern man. All those things come to mind. However, Darwinian evolution doesn't explain the origin of life. It presupposes it. Darwin didn't really address that portion in any real detail. He imagined that in some warm little pond out there, you know, some precursors came together and formed life, but he really didn't go into any great detail because he didn't know. It's a tricky problem. We'll talk about that in the future. Uh, But when evolutionists speak of mutations and natural selection driving evolution, they don't believe those processes had anything to do with the origin of life. Those processes didn't and couldn't have even existed Till after life arose to begin with. However, when the general public thinks about evolution, they're generally including the portion involving how life got started, but Darwinism doesn't really address that. It assumes it. Other scientists deal with the origin of life, chemical evolution, and all that. Again, we'll, we'll discuss that sometime in the future. Similarly, the Big Bang doesn't really 
deal with where everything came from to begin with. It presupposes it or assumes that the stuff got here. And the Big Bang is an attempted explanation of how that stuff morphed into what we observe today in the universe. We talked in the last episode about where the actual stuff came from prior to the Big Bang. So again, go back there and listen to it. You want more detail. That was all just a precursor to the meat of the topic today, what the Big Bang is all about. When most people think of the Big Bang, they typically think of it as an explanation for the origin of the universe. It's pretty much been proven by scientists. Uh, They also envision it being somewhat of an explosion of stuff out into space, which then progressively formed what we see today over many billions of years. If this happens to be your view, well, you're in good company, because most other people believe that, including many, many scientists, maybe even most. However, and this is a big however, you'd also be wrong, and so would all those scientists. But wait a minute, how in the world can that be? You might be thinking, I I guess I could easily be mistaken, but how could so many scientists be wrong about this? Well, it's actually rather simple. See, most scientists are not studying the origin of the universe, and they only have a cursory understanding of it. Uh, To a certain extent, it's not really their fault. They've heard explanations from others who also had misconceptions, who probably got their information from the popular scientific literature, which is geared towards the layperson. Unfortunately, the articles found in those publications don't always choose their words very carefully, and it leads, usually unintentionally, uh, to misunderstandings of whatever topic that they're covering. The cosmogenists who specialize in this area tell a somewhat different story. Now you might be thinking, wait, the who? The cosmogenists. You're certainly familiar with cosmology, but what is cosmogony? (laughs) Cosmology, as you know, it's a study of the structure and functioning of the universe. Cosmogony is the study of the origin of the universe. Cosmetology is something different altogether. That's the beauty thing with the hair, skin, and nails. But there's a difference between cosmology and cosmogony. One deals with the functioning of what we see today. The other deals with its origin. There is a big difference between the operation of something and its origin. I'll deal with that in the future. We don't have time to jump into that right now. And the Big Bang is probably not what you think. It's easy to picture stuff being thrown out into space and then slowly forming stars, galaxies, and planets. But that's not what the scientists believe, those who actually study this. They believe that everything in the entire universe in the past was scrunched down into a single speck, perhaps the size of a period on the page, or maybe even the size of an electron. Some refer to this as the singularity. Now, I know what you're envisioning. You got this speck just kind of hanging out, floating around in space. Nope. Space doesn't exist yet. It's just this speck in nothing. And it's not hanging out, not waiting for anything. Time doesn't exist. The Big Bang is typically a description of the origin 
of the time and space. So as the speck started to expanding, the, the Big Bang is an explanation of the expansion of the speck that somehow got there. And as it expanded, it created time and space. Sounds kind of bizarre, but that's really what they believe about it. It was not an explosion of stuff into space. It was an expansion of something creating space. Kind of bizarre, but that's really what they believe. So let's take a look at the general timeline of the thing that we call the Big Bang. They tell us they believe this thing started 13.8 billion years ago. So what they believe is 13.8 billion years ago, everything in the entire universe was contained in that single point of sometimes they say even zero size and virtually infinite temperature. This single point rapidly expanded and became three-dimensional. Minutes later, so we're on our timeline, we start out 3.8 billion years ago, now we're minutes after that, the temperature drops to a few million degrees. Yeah, imagine how hot it was if it dropped to just a few million degrees. And that, they say, produced protons and neutrons and electrons uh, from the energy that was there. And it included hydrogen, helium, and maybe a little bit of lithium. So the early universe was almost all hydrogen and helium with maybe a little bit of lithium. So... 380,000 years later, they tell us, full atoms of hydrogen, helium, and lithium form. Before it was just nuclei, now you have the full atoms, 380,000 years later. Now, the Big Bang is done. Seriously, that's all the Big Bang can do, theoretically, is expand something and then form hydrogen, helium, and a little bit of lithium. You can't really get anything else from it. So everything else we see came from other theoretical processes that they discuss later, but the Big Bang itself is done. It's kind of off the table. So then they theorize that 400 million years later, population three stars formed. These are the initial stars that consisted slowly, solely of the hydrogen, helium, and lithium. The only thing that existed was those gases. So you got the first set of stars solely consisting of hydrogen, helium, and lithium. A number of unknown years later, and everything else I'm going to describe now is unknown years later. They're just not quite sure. Unknown years later, these initial stars, population three stars, fuse heavier elements in them. Some of them explode in supernovas, throwing out these heavier elements into the universe. Unknown years later, Population two stars form containing these heavier elements. Unknown years later, population two stars explode in supernovas, creating stars with even more heavy elements that we call population one stars, which are most of what we are seeing around us today. Years later, dust and gas collect by gravitational attraction and eventually form planets. A number of years later, some guy named Jay Seeger appeared and started doing podcasts talking about all this so many, many, many years later. But that's the big picture from the beginning in the universe up till now. We're skipping some details there, which we'll cover a lot more later. So let's briefly talk about evidence that is cited for this event they call the Big Bang. I'm just going to mention three of the main ones here, and I'm going to try to keep it very simple. I don't want to get overly technical. There are a lot of details, but if I get too deep, I will lose 90, 95% of my audience. Some people will be thrilled 
most people say you just you kind of lost me it was too much so I want to get to as many people as possible so I apologize ahead of time for not reaching the smaller percentage who want all the details in the world contact our ministry we can get you more details there are many many other resources that do that I want to keep this as applicable to as many people so I'm going to give you a big picture with some details here are the three main evidences cited for the Big Bang redshift of light abundant light elements and cosmic background radiation. Those three, I will explain each of the three briefly and talk about some issues with them. First, the red shift of light. You know when light goes through a prism, it gets broken up into its spectrum. On one end, left end, you get the, more of the blues, purples, and then you go over to the other end on the right side. From left to right, you reach more of the reddish end of light, and you got these spectral lines kind of breaking up the different colors there. When light uh, travels from a moving object, these light waves get stretched out. Kind of like a train going by you, you're hearing the sound of the train, and as it passes you, the sound lowers because the sound waves are now being stretched out as they're moving away from you. It's the same thing with light. If a star is moving away from us, its light coming to us will get stretched out longer wavelengths, which are the redder. So the spectral lines get shifted towards that red end. This is the red shift of light, kind of like the Doppler effect. So they're noticing that. Uh, they kind of predicted that that's what they would expect. If the universe has expanded, they would expect to see the stretching of light and the red shift. Well, this is certainly consistent with the Big Bang model, but it's also consistent with other models as well. So you can't use this evidence as proof of your model because it fits in with other models as well. Second evidence, the abundance of light elements. And when I'm talking about light, light elements, I'm talking about elements that have an atomic number of less than 11. The atomic number is a number of protons in their nucleus. So you get hydrogen with one, you know, helium with two, and then you get lithium, beryllium, and all the way up to neon, which has an atomic number of 10. So the abundance of these elements that are, quote, lighter, uh, they say that's evidence for the Big Bang. Well, the abundance is not really a prediction. The abundance were, abundances were already known, and the model was adjusted to fit the observation. So you can't then turn around and say this is proof of it when you took what you already knew and then built it into your model. And the abundances are also consistent with other models. Third one, cosmic background radiation. I also call this CMB for cosmic microwave background. Quick background, I'm going to throw out some numbers here which are challenging doing an audio podcast, but don't worry too much or get hung up on the actual numbers. I will be explaining the, the meaning behind it anyway. But here's the background. They believe with the Big Bang that about 380,000 years after the beginning of the Big Bang is estimated that the universe had a temperature of about 3,000 degrees Kelvin. A zero Kelvin would be absolute zero. It's as cold as you can get. This is 3,000 degrees Kelvin, which is about 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Really, really hot. Since that time, though, it's believed that the universe has expanded 1,000-fold. It got 1,000 times bigger. Well, if you know Boyle's gas laws and all that, if you expand the volume by 1,000, you're going to de decrease the temperature by 1,000. So if the temperature was 3,000 degrees Kelvin... You divide that by 1,000, now you get down to 3 degrees Kelvin. That's really cold. That's about minus 454 degrees Fahrenheit. 
It's actually colder than it gets in Wisconsin in January, trust me. <laughs> well, in 1948, when the theoretical physicists predicted the existence of this background radiation from the Big Bang, they didn't have the technology to measure it. But then in 1964, we have the Holy Grail. Arnold Penzias and Robert Wilson discovered the existence of microwave radiation, having a temperature of just under 3 degrees Kelvin. They were thinking maybe it would be 3. They found something just under 3. And in 1978, they were awarded a Nobel Prize in physics for that discovery. Well, the scientists needed to find some variations in this background radiation. It can't be perfectly smooth or you can't form the stars, galaxies, and planets and everything. They needed to find variations. 1989, we had the COBE satellite. This is a cosmic background explorer. And they found some variations according to the Big Bang model. These temperature variations should be about 0.0003 degrees Kelvin. That's what it should be. Well, they didn't detect any variation at that time, so they performed some creative statistical analysis, and they got 0.0003 degrees Kelvin, which is only a tenth of what they expected, but they claim that as virtual proof of the Big Bang. Even though they were off by 90%, I don't think you could legitimately say that that's proof of that. Well, what are some scientific challenges to the Big Bang? I'm going to have to be quick with this. We have some problems called monopole magnets, a horizon problem, a flatness problem, and a missing population three-star problem, and missing matter problem. I'm going to go over these. I'll describe them briefly and show why they are a problem, and then we'll see how far I get. I might have to add some of this to the next part of the broadcast, part three of the origin of the universe. I don't want to rush through it, and there's a lot of material here. So scientific challenges to the Big Bang. Again, I'm not saying, well, the Big Bang is wrong because look at this verse in the Bible. We'll actually get to the Bible later. Right now, we're just talking about scientific issues. First one I mentioned is monopole magnets. You've all played with magnets before. You have a north end and a south end. According to the Big Bang, the temperatures would have been so high to begin with, it should have produced what we call monopole magnets, these theoretical particles that only have one polarity, not both. Well, guess what? They are missing. They should be there, but they're not. That would be a challenge to the Big Bang model. Actually, there are multiple versions of the Big Bang. I'll just talk talk about it generically here. Then there's a horizon problem. Simple analogy. Let's say you have a coffee cup in your kitchen. Let's say it's about 150 degrees in temperature. Um, if enough time elapses, the heat from the coffee cup will dissipate out into the kitchen, and then pretty soon everything is, quote, room temperature. But you have to have enough time for that heat to be transferred evenly. Well, similarly with the universe, um, they're measuring the temperature, and it seems virtually the same everywhere they look. But in their own model, 13.8 billion years, there's not enough time for the temperature to have been evened out, for light to have traveled from one place to another place to spread out the temperature. And that's how light uh, heat would be transmitted, would be through light travel. But in their own model, there's not enough time for that to occur. That is a horizon problem. There is a flatness problem. 
This has to do with expansion versus contraction. So the universe seems to be expanding. We don't actually know that for sure, for sure, for sure, but I, I think there's a fair amount of evidence that, yeah, it's probably expanding. I don't, don't have a problem with that. doesn't mean that there had to be a big bang, but it certainly looks like it's moving out now. Um, but there's an issue, too, with the matter in the universe would be pulling back on it, wanting to contract it. Those two forces have to be very, very finely balanced. If the expansion force is too strong, nothing will form. If the contraction gravitational force is too strong, it's going to collapse in on itself. The fine-tuning is said to be tuned to a level of one part in 10 to the 60th. That's, you could kind of say, one chance in a one with 60 zeros after. That is a massive, massive number. What does that look like for people who have a harder time grasping some of these numbers? I got this analogy from my good friend Spike Basaris, who I'm hoping to have on the program sometime, maybe shortly, because he deals with all this a lot more than I even do. He can share a lot of fascinating details. But his example to me was this. You got a lot of matter in the universe. Um, and that matter is, you know, causes gravitational effects, so the matter wants to pull in on itself and contract, but it's also flying out. He said the amount of matter in the universe is so finely tuned. If you had too much, gravity's too strong, pulls it in, don't have enough. The expansion force pushing out, it goes too fast, you don't form anything. It, what's that finely tuned balance? Like how much matter would be too much? How much matter would be too little? He said, envision going to a beach and picking up one grain of sand, that's pretty small. Now imagine in the entire universe, if there happened to have been created by the Big Bang, just one extra grain of sand somewhere, one extra grain's worth of matter somewhere, anywhere in the universe, that's too much and the universe collapses in on itself. If you are missing something equivalent to one grain of sand, that's not enough matter and it's going to fly out, and you're not going to form anything. That is very, 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 very finely tuned. So did we get lucky? There was this kind of random big bang, and everything turned out to be just right, and we'll probably talk about some of that in the future as well. That's, that's what we call a flatness problem. Then we have a problem called missing population three stars. When I talked about the timeline of the big bang, I said the first set of stars that formed were all um, hydrogen and helium, maybe a little bit of lithium. Those are the population three stars. Guess what? We don't find those, but they should be there. On a related note, James Webb Space Telescope, that's the newer telescope, bringing back just beautiful, gorgeous pictures of the universe. One of the problems that they're having is they're looking deeper and deeper into space. So by their worldview, they're seeing closer and closer to the beginning of the Big Bang. They claim to be able to see back to maybe 230 million years after the Big Bang occurred, so almost to the beginning of the universe. Well, they've been telling us for many years it would take three to six billion years to form mature galaxies. Three to six billion with a B, billion years. But now they're seeing back to the early universe just 230 million years after it got started, um, and they're seeing fully formed, fully mature galaxies, and lots of them. That makes no sense. That's just 5% of the time that they were telling us it, it took us. 
Are they going to say, oh, I guess the Big Bang's wrong? Not a chance. They're just going to tweak everything and say, well, we're, we're surprised to find out, I guess, galaxies can form really, really quickly. You know, there's no really physics behind that. They just need it to fit. They will force it to fit in their timeline. We'll talk about things like that more in the future. Another scientific challenge to the Big Bang, missing matter. You've all heard of E equals mc squared. Uh, Einstein gave us that. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. That just means you can convert energy into matter and matter into energy. We can see this in a laboratory. you got energy there. You can convert that into matter. But when you do, it always creates equal amounts of matter and antimatter. You've heard of antimatter. You probably thought it was just from sci-fi shows. No, it's a, it's a real thing when you create matter from energy, you create matter and antimatter. There is one other type, we call it doesn't matter, and we're not going to deal with that because it doesn't matter, that's just bad sense of humor. But when in the laboratory, real science, energy is converted into matter, we get half matter, half antimatter, and when they're around each other, they annihilate each other and they turn back into energy. Well, if the Big Bang, with all this energy, produced the universe, half of it should be matter, half of it should be antimatter. Guess what's missing? The antimatter. It's not there. In regular matter that we deal with, we have protons. They're positively charged. An antimatter particle would be an antiproton. It has a negative charge. We deal with electrons. have negative charges. The antimatter particle, it's not an anti-electron. It should be. They call it a positron. But those things, those antimatter particles are missing, but half the universe should be made of that. It's just not there. That's, to me, a good idea that maybe your whole idea of the origin of the universe is quite off. So they do have a rescuing device to try to explain those things away. And I'm going to actually save that for the next podcast because it gets interesting and I've left a bunch of other things out, and I don't want to rush to get to that, and I don't want these podcasts to be overly long either. So I'm going to start to wind down here. Again, we're just getting warmed up here, and if you keep tuning in and really focus on what we'll be discussing going forward, as I mentioned before, it won't just be entertaining. It should be life changing. All of this matters. A lot of these scientific details are kind of trivia until you tie them into the bigger picture, one's worldview. Why are we here? What are we here for? And what happens to us when we die? We will really be getting into those things, which those are the life-changing things, but I'm building a foundation getting there. So what's next? I have just decided what's next. It's going to be part three, the origin of the universe. We'll finish up talking about the Big Bang in ways that scientists try to get around some of these formidable problems. And then we'll discuss, is the Big Bang compatible with the idea of faith or religion or the Bible? And those are not the same thing. They they are related to each other. We'll talk about that. And I'm going to continue to talk about everything in a very, very logical, rational way. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you come and again, invite a friend, tell others about these podcasts Uh, subscribe so you know when the new ones come out. You will not want to miss them. We will see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
That's the number one way to help us reach more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. I hope you have a tremendously blessed day, and we'll catch you next time.